I'm Chip Granditz. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, August 22, 2017. If you are hearing this, you have survived the eclipse. Coming up, a vision for sustainable transportation brought to Boulder Valley, a proposal for a high-speed, maglev, personal rapid transit system from Boulder to Longmont to Firestone. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. Medical researchers and nanotechnology engineers who teamed up at Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center have claimed a revolutionary breakthrough in regenerative medicine. A new technology called tissue nanotransfection, or TNT for short, can generate any cell type of interest for treatment within the patient's own body, according to Dr. Chandan Sen, co-leader of the study. Dr. Chen is director of Ohio State University's Center for Regenerative Medicine and Cell-Based Therapies. He claims the technology may be used to repair injured tissue or restore function of aging tissue, including organs, blood vessels, and nerve cells. The study was a collaboration with Ohio State's Nanoscale Science and Engineering Center, and the results have been recently published in the journal Nature Nanotechnology. Dr. Chen summarized an important finding with the statement, Our study shows that injured or compromised organs can be replaced using our novel nanochip technology. The team studied mice and pigs in those experiments and were able to reprogram skin cells to become vascular cells in badly injured legs that lacked blood flow. Within a week, active blood vessels appeared in the injured leg, and by the second week, the injury was saved. In lab tests, the nanotechnology was also shown to reprogram skin cells in the live body into nerve cells that were then injected into brain-injured mice to help them recover from stroke. TNT technology has two major components. First, a nanotechnology-based chip designed to deliver cargo to adult cells in the live body. Second is the design of specific biological cargo for cell conversion. When delivered using the chip, the cargo converts an adult cell from one type to another. The cargo is delivered by zapping the device with a small electrical charge that they claim is barely felt by the patient. OSU's Wexner Medical Center is hoping to start clinical trials next year to test the technology on humans. Perhaps you were ambitious enough to go up to Wyoming yesterday and film or photograph the eclipse. If so, your picture may have been photobombed by the International Space Station, which passed between the Earth and the Sun during the early part of the eclipse in this region at about 20% occlusion. At that time, the six passengers aboard the ISS, three NASA astronauts, two Russian cosmonauts, and one European Space Agency astronaut were getting a very different view of the eclipse from above, looking down as the umbra of the moon passed eastward over the surface of Wyoming. 
And if you didn't take any footage yourself, NASA has posted online video taken from near Banner, Wyoming. We'll place a link to it on the How on Earth website. Smashers in the cocktail lounge tonight. Opera singers in the graveyard keeping time. And the DJ mixes them all. Joining me in the studio is Dr. R. Paul Williamson, CEO of Sustainable Systems of Colorado and the Colorado Coordinator for SkyTran Development. In that role, he recently made a pitch to the city of Longmont on a proposal for a maglev personal rapid transit system going from Boulder through Longmont on to Firestone. Dr. Williamson, welcome to How on Earth. Thanks for coming down to speak with us this morning. Thanks, Chip. It's great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. And uh, I actually, I understand, though, this uh, is your home stomping ground to begin with. You, you were here before and you came back. Tell us a little bit about your journey before we get into your proposal. Oh, well, um, I've been uh, all over the country working in uh, higher education primarily as a dean, vice president, etc., and uh, working with innovative programs and all sorts of uh, different projects all over the country. And uh, most recently, I was at the University of Montana, where uh, I had been working with alternative energy and then uh, did a lot of interface with Senator Bacchus and the U.S. Department of Transportation. And so that's how I initiated the uh, SkyTran project development uh, and we had got a four-year grant from the U.S. Department of Transportation to develop the high-speed uh, personal rapid transit system. Yeah, that's right. So, as you well know, I've already pointed out, sustainable transportation is a hot topic for, for policymakers, for environmentalists, and for just everyday commuters. Um, and this idea of the, the personal rapid transit system, PRT, I, I've seen it referred to in the literature, uh, it's kind of a radical idea, but it's it's not really that new, is it? No, it's been around a long time. And when I first started doing research on it, I think I found 124 different PRT system inventions, quote-unquote, uh, all around the world. And explain for our listeners the characteristics of a PRT. PRT is, has been initiated because we, as especially Americans, and of course what we do here in the U.S. is replicated all over the world, we are used to be able to sit in, get into our car uh, on a personal basis and go from point A to point B uh, without having to interact and uh, be part of uh, some other transportation system. Uh, therefore, uh, especially out west here, uh, we have gotten so used and so dependent on our cars that that's a, a standard of, of living that, that we've acquired. If you live in New York or something, it's a whole different thing because you be, your standard of living there is to ride the, 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 the system there and, and be part of the light rail or the underground subway or whatever it might be. So personal rapid transit is, has been developed to minimize the number of people that are going from point A to point B. When I first started working with U.S. Department of Transportation, the average number of people in a vehicle per trip was 1.8 persons. Now it's 1.2 persons, and it's going down. And so, and you can, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to go out and find that out. You just watch the traffic going by on any day, and you see there's usually just one person in there. Uh, so this this addresses that need. There's no sense having massive infrastructure, i.e., overhead 
uh, beams and all sorts of tracks and all that sort of thing when people don't want to do that and not having to engineer a system that carries massive weight and <coughs> excuse me and massive uh, number of people so the pods or the, the the cars that hold the people they're they're uh, smaller and lighter than perhaps uh, the vision of the future that existed uh, when uh, the Disneyland erected their monorail in Tomorrowland. Exactly, and I worked on the monorail system that uh, Senator Byrd put in at the University of West Virginia when I was getting my doctorate there. And so that PRT system is still in operation. Uh, it's still it's a rubber wheel on the ground type system as opposed to our elevated system that we're working on with SkyTran. But nonetheless, uh, they had it connecting two campuses and uh, it's worked quite admirably over the years. And that's an interesting point that you bring up, of course, is that they travel on an elevated track because most people uh, who I've brought the idea up to say the thing about any sort of transportation system is it seems like when you cross the highways and other modes of transportation, you have, you have to cross and you have to stop. So uh, this, this is a system that would be elevated from the ground. About how far off the ground in your proposed system would a traveler be going from Boulder to Longmont? Well, of course, it depends a little bit on the terrain and what you have to go over or around or whatever, but on average, somewhere around 20 feet. Okay, and then and how big and how heavy uh, are you expecting the cars to be? The cars are 500 pounds, mm -hmm. and they'll carry uh, 500 pounds of weight, um, basically two passengers. Mm-hmm. And, and I also want to get into the technology. Now, PRT systems are not necessarily maglev. That's one particular choice of propulsion. But I understand that, uh, that it, it brings some advantages in terms of environmentalism, energy efficiency, and, and even operation and maintenance. So tell us, because this is a science show, a little bit about the science technology of, of maglev and, and how it helps. Yeah, of course, the maglev uh, is not a new thing. Uh, in fact, when we first started on the project, we worked with Lawrence Livermore Labs over in San Francisco. And uh, they had been sort of the entrepreneurs of maglev. Uh, and so we took wh what they were doing and, and moved it forward. But uh, the maglev is as complicated and as simple of, as when we were in school and did our science projects and took a two magnets and tried to put the two poles together mm -hmm. and they repelled each other. Uh, that's basically how maglev works and by doing that you create an airspace in between uh, the thing you're trying to levita levitate and from the guideway it system and by moving on air of course you have a lot less resistance whether it's with rubber tires or steel wheels uh, on a typical light rail or a train. So by doing that, uh, we anticipate that each vehicle used between two and 300 watts per mile to move forward, mm -hmm. and we can move forward at speeds of up to 150 miles an hour. And is that something you think would be realistic for uh, a system right here in Boulder Longmont? Well, what I've been experiencing uh, looking at traffic uh, going here, e even if you could average 30 miles an hour without stopping, mm -hmm. we would have uh, a vast improvement in people getting from point A to point B. I, I guess that my thinking is anyway that uh, the 150 miles an hour would be reserved primarily for longer distances uh, where you get up to speed. And especially when we're starting a new system, uh, we don't want to uh, frighten people uh, from being in it. Of course, there are those thrill seekers out there that would like to even go twice that speed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
So it's like any other system. When my dad first started selling cars back in the 20s and 30s, 20 mile an hour was just this breakneck speed Mm -hmm. going down a a gravel road, you know. You you hardly do it. Now we think nothing of it. Well, the great thing about it, uh, and on your way out the door, you would say, okay, I need to check in a schedule. iPort, and your pod comes up, uh, go to 10th and Broadway, uh, egress and degress from uh, interstate, and you get up, get up to speed, and you join everybody else that's going down that line with a four-degree uh, separ- separation. And everybody is... You know, remotely controlled basically by a control center much like you have in an airport and you speed along on that track until you get to where you want to go 10th and Broadway and you go the down ramp and you get out of your pod and it queues up for somebody else so there's there's no driver you just get into the pod and you get on your computer or read a book or work on yeah, yeah. do your work yeah and then what if what if you're bringing the family along well uh, and that goes back to the research I was talking about. Most rides are 1.2 people. So that's what the system is designed for. Mm-hmm. But uh, we were doing a uh, display over at uh, Jeffco uh, here two or three years ago, and a family came and was talking to me about the same thing. And as we talked, uh, I said, well, and they were talking about going up skiing, uh, mm-hmm. for example, taking the family skiing. And as we talked, we said, well, what would be wrong with the – father and mother being in one pod and the children playing their video games and whatever in another pod, uh, it might be a more satisfying journey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, or, you know, splitting a family up or whatever. But it's not designed for somebody that has a whole SUV full of materials and whatever. I mean, when I was working with the engineers, the interesting thing was, Mm -hmm. um, I said, this is Colorado. There's two things that we've got to do with our SkyPod. One, they have to, or they have to be able to carry two things, skis and bikes. Sure. And so uh, our designs have, have focused around that, and, and those uh, opportunities are being made available. Yeah, I was poking around on the SkyTran website, and, and they talked about two variations of technology. The one that you're pushing is the uh, PRT, which, you know, right in the name, personal rapid transit system. There's also a a complementary technology of a cargo uh, exactly. transportation system. Yeah. So that someday could service, like, a, a lot of the traffic from Longmont is our people that are, you know, they're lawn maintenance people and contractors, and they have some tools and stuff to carry with them. Sure, yeah. sure. Um, so the acceleration and deceleration, uh, the technology of maglev, uh, I would assume that the constraints are really about the human capacity for comfort of acceleration and deceleration it is and as we are we still have our research center at nasa ames research center out in california uh, by uh, mountain view mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, san jose and so we looked at the whole g-force thing uh, as far as what people can do and you know on, uh, fortunately the human body can withstand a lot but uh, an everyday traveler doesn't want to have three G's. <laughs> Although <laughs> it might don't. be fun once in a while. But, and you know, boulder a few, but not yeah, most. Yeah. <laughs> Especially on a science show like this. Uh, probably yeah. all your listeners are probably wanting that. But uh, we experience about one G when you get on an airplane. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we've designed it around. And so when you accelerate off the, uh, the Skyport, uh, we we'll need to get you up to speed so that you can levitate and join the same speed that everybody else is going on the guideway. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I, I suppose we have to bring up the issues of uh, safety. Is there is there any issues with like uh, high voltage? How does how does the power get to the rail system, and and is that something that is a concern, or there's some safety issues there? Um, it's a very very low um, uh, margin there that uh, we have to worry about as far as safety and working with. Uh, FTA, uh, Federal Transit Administration, and the U.S. Department of Transportation. Uh, they have made their all their radar control devices, which are getting common. I've got one on my car now that tells me when somebody's stopping in front of me and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that safety factor is taken care of. Uh, also, with the use of maglev and uh, electricity, we'll be using DC electricity. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all solar-powered. Uh, we will use the solar power and we'll be able to transmit that through the guideway system in a conduit. And we can transmit that uh, long distances uh, using fiber optics. And we will have excess energy there that we'll be able to uh, electrolyze into hydrogen. And then we'll use the hydrogen to run fuel cells in the evening or, or on cloudy days. Uh, to run the system, plus each vehicle will have a hydrogen fuel cell on board uh, to help with this acceleration, much like some of the new airplanes that NASA is experimenting with. All right. Well, uh, now let's uh, turn uh, to the topic of money. Um, how much capitalization? I mean, the thing about Boulder is that, uh, you know, we got excited many years ago about a, a, a massive regional transportation system that was going to bring a a train into Boulder, and the, the city put a lot of work in uh, planning into a transit center, and, and there's, there's not going to be a train. There's just, there's just more lanes on 36. Um, and RTD said, well, the train is just, it's just too expensive. I mean, all of this stuff, maglev, it sounds very exciting, but how much does it cost? Well, uh, and that's a good good uh, point that you make there because uh, what was can't be in the future. And uh, the whole technology of steel rails and steel tracks just does not fit with uh, where our technology is today and where we need to go uh, for the future. The idea of using the uh, maglev and the lighter weight vehicles and all the things that we've talked about thus far uh, make it less expensive to operate it, of course. Uh, the average or the cost that we see for a mile of uh, SkyTran, two directional, is $15 million a mile, which a boy from South Dakota, that still seems like a lot of money. But a light rail system is somewhere between 120 and $150 million a mile. Plus, it's got an additional 70% operating and maintenance cost that you have to pay every year. So you never get it paid for, you never realize any quote-unquote profit. So that's why we're setting this up as a public-private partnership where we can run the system, we can operate the system, a business can come in and make a little bit of money on it, and we provide a service to the community. And that kind of goes back to what you were saying before with the maglev technology because as parts are not touching as much as with wheels or exactly. tracks, uh, things that wear out and need to be replaced, the uh, operating maintenance costs are lower, I guess. Absolutely. You know, we, we estimate that our O&M will be around 5%. So we feel, that, and we've had lots of investors say that 
In fact, if we have a call-in show in the future, we'll probably want to raise money here uh, (laughs) to try to do this. But we've had a lot of investors say, yeah, they want to invest in something like this. This is the transportation of the future. Okay, then specifically, how would you see this project getting off the ground? I mean, what does it take? What's the next step? Our next step is uh, we have a whole list of things, of course, we've accomplished in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, Our next step here in Colorado is to uh, secure enough money to do a feasibility study. Uh, so that we can bring people in and in the engineers, uh, people that are knowledgeable in PRT, and that they can do an engineering study and say, okay, here's where the posts would go, here's where the stations would interface with RTD or whomever, and here's what we would work with as far as the community is concerned. So that's our next step, and, and that's where I'm trying to head to uh, move this thing forward. And do you have well, do you have something scheduled for your next step? You like as as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, you, you just made a presentation to the city of Longmont. Uh, who who are you talking to next? Well, uh, I have ongoing meetings with uh, developers and uh, RTD people and CDOT people uh, all the time, trying to keep as many balls in the air as I can, so that we can attract this um, investment, quote unquote, of feasibility for the feasibility study because. Once we get it identified exactly what we're going to do, then we've got a, a very solid target that we're going to shoot for, uh, i.e. the uh, route from Boulder to Firestone. Uh, that is a very interesting route. People have, uh, vast majority of people have really endorsed that as, as a good idea and a good place in the state of Colorado to start the most advanced transportation system in the world. Yeah, what? Yeah, what drew you to that? I mean, as you mentioned when we talked right before, there's uh, there's there's millions of miles uh, <laughs> to connect people from point A to point B anywhere in the United States. What drew you to this location? Well, it, it more happens chance than knowledge. I'll have to admit. Uh, I was moving back to uh, Colorado. I had land over in Superior, and so I started looking in the area just because it was easy travel distance. Where would be a, a good place to put a demonstration route. And uh, this appeared to me as looking at 119 and 157 uh, of being an okay place. But as I talked to people that do this for a profession, uh, they said, wow, that's really a good good selection there. (laughs) And if someone was really intrigued by this idea, um, is there somewhere prototypes or implementations of this modern version of the PRT system anywhere in the country where someone could actually physically see one operate? No. Uh, that's the good news and the bad news. Uh, if uh, we do have uh, an operating model over at the NASA Ames Research Center, we also have one at our research center in Tel Aviv, Israel, uh, that we levitate uh, a uh, bogey on, on the system. Um, so uh, we, uh, we are confident in the technology that we're ready to move it forward now into a full demonstration. And uh, we, we want to do that here in, in Colorado. And now let's say that uh, you have piqued the interest of some of our listeners here and they want to follow along on the status of this program and see how it's evolving. What would you suggest to them? How, how do people keep up on what you're doing here? Uh, it it kind of goes by uh, fits and starts, uh, but uh, I have my, my, uh, my, my organization, the Sustainable Systems of Colorado. They can go on that and, and see what's going on, which is sustainablesystemsofcolorado.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, also we have our Skytran.com uh, station that uh, that you've, or I'm sorry, website that uh, you've mentioned. 
so those are the two things. Uh, eventually, I'll be giving some more information seminars here in Boulder uh, as I get closer to that feasibility, uh, possibility of, of conducting that feasibility study. So all of those things are, are possibilities if they want to come. And what would you say uh, right now is your, your, what you consider the major obstacle to overcome at the moment? Innovation is hard. Uh, trying to convince people that uh, their jobs might be at risk, uh, the future is uh, not completely itched in stone, and that we're going to do something new. That is always a big hurdle for anything that's new and different. So we're excited to move things forward, and I've been used to doing innovations. I worked with NASA on satellites back in the 60s and 70s. So this is um, minor compared to working with uh, orbiting satellites. <laughs> it's not rocket science. Exactly. I say. Yeah. I want to thank you. You've been listening to uh, Dr. R. Paul Williamson. He is the CEO of Sustainable Systems of Colorado and the Colorado Coordinator for SkyTran Development. Thank you for joining us in the studio. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Alejandro Soto. This week's show was produced by Chip Granditz and engineered by Maeve Conran. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music by David Byrne. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, KGNU Science Show, I'm Chip Granditz.